As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. With us around the table, I'm pleased to say, Gary Cohn. Morning, Gary. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. I was reflecting on our conversations we used to have many years ago when you were in front of the White House and you used this term, the threes. Are we going back to the threes? Is that what you think we're going back to? It, it feels like we're going back to the threes, you know. In, in the threes, for those that don't remember me standing in front of the White House talking about the threes, I was talking about 3% GDP, 3% unemployment, and 3% wage growth. That was sort of the sweet spot that we were trying to achieve at the time. And we thought that was a really good, solid place for the United States economy to be. And that was sort of the goal. That was sort of the middle of the target that we were trying to hit, you know, month after month as we were talking on those Fridays after we release job data. What I've noticed from you is that we seem to have forgotten what normal is. Well, we totally forgot what You've normal is. You've been around is. for a long time. You've seen many cycles. What is normal? So this is a, 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 a campaign I'm on in many respects that we have forgot what normal is. So to go back to what normal is, we have to go back to the post-2008 financial crisis. Because since 2008, you know, the Fed has been the overwhelming dominant feature of financial markets. So prior to 2008, you know, Fed meetings were important, but we didn't live and die off Fed meetings. In fact, I'm old enough to remember when money supply was what drove markets. Now, I'm really dating myself on money supply there. But then we get to 2008, um, and the Fed goes into the whole policy of zero interest rates and quantitative, and quantitative easing. Um, followed by many other central banks around the world. And as the Fed goes into the zero interest rate policy and they continue to build a bigger and bigger balance sheet, they become the dominant factor in financial markets, not just in the fixed income markets, not just in the rate markets, but when you literally have zero rates of return, you're literally forcing people out into the risk spectrum. So you bring many, many other asset classes that have historically not been appealing to people, you bring them into play because the, the search for return, the search for yield, you go farther out on the risk spectrum. So we lived through the 2008 period all the way up to basically, I would say, COVID with this zero interest rate policy, people looking for alternative assets, looking to, for yield, searching for it in unusual places. We come into the, into the COVID period and sort of the Fed stays in their zero interest rate policy because they have no idea really what's happening. I'm not sure that that's a mistake. You know, when you don't know what's happening, don't make a change. And then all of a sudden we get into the, let's, we'll, we'll call it the Biden administration. Um, and we've gone through five stimulus packages in the United States. And all of a sudden we've got US U.S. consumers with the best balance sheet they've had in their life, enormous amount of disposable income, the ability to finally go out and spend it after not having the ability for almost two years to spend anything that, like, like I said, you can't buy it at the grocery store, FedEx or UPS or, or the United States Mail Service can't deliver to you, you can't buy it. We now have the ability to go out and spend that money. And lo and behold, we end up in a highly inflationary cycle. So the Fed goes from this zero interest rate, trying to drive economic growth, trying to drive inflation, 
Yep. Um, and I and I always remind my my best friends, you know, if you would have picked up any newspaper prior to 2000, in that 2008 to 2020 period, the Fed headline would have been, can the Fed ever create inflation again? So now we're back in this highly inflated period, and the Fed goes from, you know, quantitative easing to quantitative tightening to zero interest rate policies to 50 basis points sort of month in and month out. Um, so we, we have been through this 15 plus year cycle of what I would call abnormal. On top of that, we end up with this inverted yield curve because everyone's convinced the Fed's raising rates, the Fed has to slow down the economy, we have to see job degradation, so we have to go into recession. I think the missing component there was how strong personal balance sheets were. So we don't go into recession. We still have an inverted yield curve, which I don't think is normal. So I think now, for the first time in this 15-year period, we're getting to a position where we're starting. And we're just at, at, at the very beginning of heading back towards normal and what normal would be. And so reminding people a little bit what normal looks like, it's going back to the 333. But historically, we have a positively shaped yield curve in the United States. We have a risk premium. Historically, if you look at 10-year yields, the 10-year average yield in the United States, you can either put in the Volcker Fed or you can take out the Volcker Fed. With the Volcker Fed, it's 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 4.6 uh, percent. Without it's 4.3 percent. If you put aside all of this, right? If you take a look at the Fed and say, okay, it's on the back table, you start to look at the economy. It looks pretty good. It doesn't look like we're going into recession. Agree. Why do people feel so bad? Here's why people feel bad. Like the inflation number, the inflation data is the most peculiar data we have in the United States. We count inflation either month over month or year over year. We don't zero baseline it anywhere. And so when we talk about inflation, we say, how much inflation do we have over last month? And if we had inflation month over month, it means what you paid last month is here and what you're paying this month is higher. If we have inflation year over year, same thing. So we've seen the compounding effect of a 3% inflation year, a 9% inflation year, a 3%, all that adds up to 20 plus percent. So when you're a consumer today, you're a hardworking consumer today, your basket of groceries is 20 plus percent more than you think it should be worth and what it was worth two years ago. So the compounding effect of inflation, because we don't have a zero baseline basket, is really what's affecting people's mentality. The second part of the equation is people are working harder. They're working more jobs to, to be able to buy what they want to buy. The savings from the pandemic is gone. It's not all gone. There's still a lot of it sitting in treasury and money market. But if you look at the financial position of many Americans that went from you know, high consumer debt going into the pandemic, um, then they went from consumer debt being wiped out, they went to high savings rate because they were sort of forced in. They've actually spent all that money back. They're back to where they started. They're back at consumer debt. So they do care a lot about the inflation and they care about their purchasing power. And we, we are talking about wages today exceeding inflation, but that's on a sort of spot market basis. We haven't talked about it over a one-year or a two-year basis. You know, I got to say, I wonder how messy the data is as well. And if you were still the head of the uh, Economic Council advising the president how would you communicate the idea that we're seeing churn, massive churn in response to uh, in, uh, technological advancements? Something about eBay laying off 9% of its staff because it needs to upgrade certain things, or SAP in Germany. You're seeing this again and again. How much is that featuring into the messiness of the data? You know, we always have messy data. You know, we're always, like, we never really get totally, totally clean data. You know, we could talk about all the revisions to the unemployment data. You know, it's a, it's a survey data. 
data, and then they go, they, they go and revise the data from a month and two months ago, and sometimes the revisions are bigger than the actual data, but we, we of course fixate on the data on that Friday, and then a, a month later we say, oh, that data was completely wrong. Um, so if you're, if you're in the world of looking for the, for the clean, pure answer, our economic data doesn't give you really clean, pure answers on a real-time basis. If you look at the data over a cycle and over a period, it gets very clean over time. I think you've got to look at the data on a longer period of trend. That's why a lot of people, like, like I look at the JOLTS report. I think JOLTS is really interesting to me because it shows job openings, um, amount of people looking. But like what's in there, there's some really interesting numbers in there. It shows you how many people quit their job. Quits to me is like one of the important numbers. People only quit their job when they feel like there's a better job out there. So it's a pure measure of what people's psychology on the market is. When the quit rate goes up, it means I believe I can get a better job, better paying, better quality of life, and I'm not worried about quitting. When the quit rate goes down, people are saying, okay, the job market's not very good. I should be happy with the job I have. I don't love it, but I should be happy with the job I have. So there's data out there if you put it all together. I think you can create a pretty clean picture for yourself. Unlike this administration, Gary would actually communicate, Ramo. <laughs> that would be the answer to that, but we won't get into that now. With us around the table for some final thoughts, Gary Cohn. Gary, I know you don't want to talk about the horse race. We won't do that, but I do want to talk about policy. Sure. Tax cuts, tariffs. Let's start with tax cuts. Hardly been talked about. You and I caught up yesterday, and I have to say, I haven't talked about the tax cuts and all the money that started to come back into the country for the best part of six years or yeah. something like that. How relevant are yesterday's tax cuts to today's economy? Well, the, the 2017 tax cuts. And I think they're in really important. So this is back on the, the theme of normalization. So since we really got the tax cuts through that were signed December 22nd of 2017, you know, we sort of had 18, 19, we had sort of two normalized years. 18 was sort of an implementation year. And we saw some really amazing things start happening. We saw real repatriation of foreign overseas money. We saw a trillion and a half dollars come back in the United States because in the old tax system, corporations could leave their money offshore and they didn't have to pay U.S. taxes, so they brought it back. We deemed that money to be have brought back, so we taxed it. It got brought back. I think when you see what's going on, and there's the manufacturing boom in the United States right now, which started in that period of time, a lot of that has to do with this repatriated money. Historically, when companies couldn't bring their money back, they had to invest it overseas. They built manufacturing overseas. They invested in property, plant, and equipment. Now that they're being taxed, no matter whether they bring it back or not, they're bringing it back, they're paying the tax, and they're investing. So you've seen the creation of manufacturing in, in the United States. This started in 2018 and 19 as companies started bringing back their repatriated money. You've also seen the, the growth that we've seen in consumption. You've seen the growth in the middle class is ability to spend money. Hardworking individuals got a real tax cut. And, and that's why I think people have missed the, the economic picture in the United States so badly. Everyone calling for this recession over the last year and a half, I don't think they understood the additional consumptive powers that the tax cuts created. You know, we put real additional disposable income into people's pockets. And, and we did it on purpose. We made some very conscientious decisions to make sure that we were delivering real, um, real taxable returns or, or less tax to the hardest working individuals in America. And it takes time for that to feed through the system. It doesn't happen year one. And then we go through COVID. So you get all these, you know, 
unnatural phenomenas. And now we're back to what I say is more normal behavior. People are understanding what their taxable income is. You know, we're, we're, some of the programs that we put in 2017 have expired. And, and I'm happy to say that we're seeing some bipartisan legislation to reinstate some of those programs. There's a bill going through the House right now to reinstate some of the child tax credits, along with accelerated depreciation and the, and the write-off of R&D credits. We think both sides of that equation, they were in the original tax bill. We think they're both important. You know, you're, you're, you're taking care of both sides of the equation. We have to take care of hardworking families with children, and we have to incentivize companies to continue to do R&D and continue to invest in the country. Gary, those individual tax cuts from 2017 are set to be expired. As you say, that helps individuals and uh, in taxes, but if you have a 10% tariff wall around the United States, that's a massive tax on consumers. It, it, it is. So look, the, 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 the tariff wall is something that needs to be discussed. I know it's a, it's, it's a potential that's being discussed out there. And it's, it's an idea. It's something that's being used to potentially pay for the future tax plans. Wouldn't it negate it? it, it look, I, I think we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves right now. As you said, the personal side of the tax reform package um, terminates in 2025. There will be enormous amount of discussion to what happens between now and 2025. It will be important to what the makeup of Congress looks like, to what you are able to do, what you're not willing to do. Are you going to be able to do this through reconciliation? Are you going to be able to do it through normal order? Are you going to be able to do it with a simple majority? Uh, to do that, that means Republicans would have to control the House, the Senate, and the White House. If you've got to split Congress, or maybe the Democrats control all three. If, you, if you're doing it through reconciliation, you're going to be able to do it through one set of policies. If you do it through regular order, you're going to have to have a much more of a compromise on what goes on here. Um, so I think that the ideas that are being talked about right now are concepts. And this is what's interesting about the electoral process in the United States, and I think this is why it's important. This is a time where, where potential candidates and, 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 and incumbents, and we actually have a couple of incumbents running, they get to tell us about their ideas of how they want to run the government. And these are ideas. If you look at the history, there are concepts and they're starting places. They're not necessarily ending places. Bremo's got thoughts. I know when Lisa's got thoughts. Well, no, I just, to me, the idea, so many people have come on and said, we're taking it seriously. If Trump says something, we're taking sure. it seriously. And Gary Cohn is saying, eh, maybe not. You know, you got to look at the whole process. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'll have to get you back to talk about that. Hey, Gary, it's good to see you. Good Thanks to see for this you. morning. Thank you, sir. Gary Cohn. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.